Amen. And what a wonderful reminder this morning. Um, y'all, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. We're going to continue and actually finishing up our sermon series today. We're just doing, we didn't go all the way through Genesis. We just got through the first, I don't know, 25 chapters or so uh, and hit some of the highlights. But Genesis 25 today, we're looking at a couple of brothers, Jacob and Esau, just the first part of their relationship. Um, and it's, it's intense, I'm not going to lie. They weren't friends. So if you aren't friends with your sibling, hopefully you'll get a word today from this. But um, as you're, help me now, watch out. We're going to go into a time of testimonials, you know. Who, who doesn't like your brother or sister? Come on the stage. No, no, easy. Okay, that'll be later. We'll do that on Sunday night. But um, no, absolutely. So uh, Genesis chapter 25, if you've got a Bible, open up there. Um, and I don't have any opening stories or anything this morning. We're just going to jump into this. Um, just to give a quick little recap, um, if, you, if you're new, it's your first Sunday. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about this family, this guy named Abraham. He and his wife, Sarah, didn't have kids for a long time. The Lord finally gave them a child. Um, they were old, like 190. It's crazy stuff. And then um, they had a child named Isaac. Isaac, at the end of the sermon last week, we told about this girl, a woman named Rebecca. And they, it was like this cool little love story there at the end where they saw each other and all this. Um, and today, it's like fast-forwarding a few years, all right? So Isaac and Rebecca have been married for a while now. Isaac's around 40, um, a little bit older, um, and his wife's just a little bit younger than that, um, but they don't have any kids either. It's interesting. Like, it's kind of a replay of, of his mom and dad, you know, and, and Isaac actually goes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, man, my wife doesn't have a child. Could you please bless us, bless us with a child? It's just interesting kind of conversation. The Lord chooses to grant him that blessing, and it picks up um, where we're open up today with Rebecca, very pregnant, um, and the Lord speaks to her, okay? Now, this is pre-ultrasound, this is pre-sonogram on the fridge kind of thing, like this, just imagine, all right, women that have had babies, like the Lord tells you you're going to have not one, but two, and they're not going to like each other. So, Genesis chapter 25, uh, verses 22 to 23, let's read those together. Um, it says, the children, all right, this is Rebecca, the children of the womb, the children struggled together within her, and she, Rebecca said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Right? That's a good question for a pregnant lady. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, imagine now, you're receiving this word from the Lord. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Boom. You think she left that prayer like, thanks be to God, like this is wonderful. That doesn't sound like an uplifting kind of thing uh, in my mind. One, as far as we know, up until this moment, she didn't know she was having one but two. Now she's like, there's a whole nation in there. Like this, there's a lot going on. But then the Lord starts saying stuff to her at the end, specifically the one shall be stronger than the other. That's talking about physical strength there. But it also says the older shall serve the younger. Now in this day, that was just not heard of like when it came to old testament family stuff the older one always got pretty much most of the stuff where's my firstborn any firstborns in the house it's a blessing you know you can't it's just who we are you know but in this one it's the same so old testament the firstborn would get the finances and the spiritual blessing and the birthright like you would pass it down to your firstborn son and then that son would split it up with the rest of the family a lot of pressure there so the lord says to rebecca before the kids are even born your boys are going to be divided. The kids are going to be divided. And the younger ones, the older one's going to serve the younger one, which wouldn't have, in my mind, made a whole lot of sense to her. I got to go to Augusta on Saturday, what day? Sun, Friday, Friday. 
um, to see my dad, who's still, who's still living in Appling, and I uh, got to go to the home show. It was lovely, and we got some, some free stuff, a lot of free candy and things. But on the way down I-20, my three kids, all right, we have a Nissan Pathfinder, so 2012. It's really classy. And in the back seat, there's, um, but we cleaned out yesterday, but there, there used to be a lot of stuff. Don't judge, okay? We have a third row that sometimes stores some stuff, you know, not kids. So we got that cleaned out, though. And on the way down to my dad's house, on I-20, between Greensboro and Augusta, not a lot going on, my three children are sitting in the seat right behind me, singing praises to the Lord and telling each other how much they love each other. I didn't realize one of them's in here. This is awkward. But um, they may or may not have been doing that, right? And parents, don't, defects watching, I'm not endorsing a view. We're not saying that. Parents, have you ever just like, can we be honest for a second? You ever just like put your hand back and just started going just, just to see what happens? Like, just stop it. I don't care who, I don't care who's doing it. Just stop, right? Fighting and fighting and fighting. And sometimes I look at kids and you go, why are you fighting about everything? Have you ever had a kid that says stuff and you go, what? That doesn't even make sense why you're fighting about that. We're going to talk about fighting today for a little bit. And this one, Rebecca finds out early on that her kids are going to be fighters their whole lives with each other. There's going to be a lot of tension. She's going to have to work through some of that. They were struggling within her even before they were born. Jacob and Esau were fighting. Jacob would grow up to become the father of Israel, right? Like his kids became like the, the main patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel. Esau had a whole other branch called Edom, right? The Edomites. Like Esau grows up and starts his own people group. They become liter- two literal nations who never got along and still don't get along today. The older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. The first thing I got out of this passage, and these story, y'all, these points today are extremely simple. I was just in a simple kind of place this week, and I pray that they speak to you. It's just because it always has been this way doesn't mean it always will be this way. Just because it always has been this way doesn't mean it always will be this way. You see, Rebecca got a word from the Lord saying that the older one was going to serve the younger one. Her natural response could have been, well, Lord, you've never done that before. My sister's babies." My cousins down the street, the next door neighbor, they don't do things this way. Just because it always has been this way doesn't mean it always will be this way. This applies to biblical things, to spiritual things, and to economic things and political things. Just because it always has been this way doesn't mean it will be this way. My prayer for my own family, for my wife, and for my kids is that we would choose to live in such a way to have other people say things like, wow, we've just never seen anything like this before. How do you have hope in a world that's so messy? How are you still smiling? Don't you see what's going on around you? And for us to be able to say confidently, man, it may always have been this way, but I believe in God that can do something different. Ukraine's a mess, isn't it? I'm going to take just a couple of minutes. I went a little long last service, so just prepare. But um, I just want to have a conversation in front of you. One, I guess I have your attention because you can't go anywhere. But also, I just want to let you know that I'm just as real as you are. And I'm an emotional guy. If you know me, you'll see me. I'll start tearing up about, you know, Hallmark movies and stuff. Like, I'm there. But my heart has been broken this last week for the people of Ukraine. And I don't have a lot of answers. I had some crazy dreams this week. I don't usually have dreams like that. They scared me. I don't have answers for them yet. 
I'm hearing news reports just like you are from all the different sources that are all saying the same kind of thing. And I've wondered, Lord, what would it be like to be a Ukrainian right now? I'm not picking a side, all right? So if you want to go political with this, that's not what we're doing. In college, my wife and I hung out with a lot of international students. One of them, his name was Peter. He was tall, very Russian. Like whatever your stereotype of Russia is, he did it. Like no joke. Like, Peter, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I mean, it was like, do you ever smile? I'm just being honest. Like we became friends with Peter. We drove to, with Peter and Feng Lu from China and Alex Huang from China and what was the guy from Spain? Raphael from Spain and a girl from Bulgaria. And we got in your Pathfinder. We got in somebody's old car and we drove to Plains, Georgia, where Jimmy Carter was teaching a Sunday school lesson out in the middle of nowhere. And we walked in and sat, and here comes the president and his wife, politics aside. This joker laid out the gospel. Like, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Believe in it. And afterwards, we went outside, and the secret service were there, and they came up to us and said, don't look at the president, don't talk to the president, don't touch the president. I was like, Shawnee, I dare you. Like, just go. Let's just see. Let's just see what happens. We have a picture in our house with our arms, not around the president or the first lady, but around the guy from two guys from China, guy from Spain, girl from Bulgaria, and a guy from Russia. And I hear reports like this stuff that's been going on this week around the world, and sometimes I've even prayed this last week, Lord, it seems like it's always been this way. I'm getting on to my kids for fighting about a Nintendo Switch in the back seat, and we've got countries fighting over stuff. Grown-ups, not acting like grown-ups. What do we do with that? I've read different reports from different pastors, brothers and sisters in Christ, in Ukraine, and in Russia. This last week, some of the sermon texts that were online, Urban Bible Church in suburban Kiev. Does anybody know, did anybody know where Kiev was three weeks ago? I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't tracked. In, in suburban Kiev, Pastor Igor Bandura said, quote, this is the end of his sermon last week. He was going to preach a sermon on marriage because he was taking a fun stance. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you need to say something different. This is how he closed his sermon Last Sunday in Kiev, Russia. Excuse me, help me, Lord. In Kiev, Ukraine. Quote, I do not know, because he's preaching to people. Some of them are Ukrainians. He had a few Russians that were already there. He had a very mixed congregation. He said, quote, I do not know in what mood you came here, but I know for sure that if you open your heart to the Lord, you will come out renewed, strengthened in Jesus Christ, and ready for anything that is challenging our lives. That's a good word. Vladimir Nesturik, I know y'all probably think I took Russian, I didn't, I've never taken a Russian class. He's the pastor of Regeneration Baptist Church in Rivne, Ukraine. He said, quote, at the end of his sermon last Sunday, we very much hope that our house of prayer, people were asking him, are you going to flee? You're old enough, you can get out of this country, take your wife and your grandkids and leave. And in response to that, he said, quote, we very much hope that our house of prayer will not be needed to shelter people, but we are preparing so that people can come here from anywhere, if necessary, to find shelter and safety. That's a good pastor. Vitaly Vlasenko. This is a Russian pastor. 200 miles away from Kiev. Russian pastor. At the end of his sermon last week, he is the general secretary of the Russian Evangelical Alliance of Baptists. They're just like, uh, like just add some more. We're going to be our own. Anyway, in Moscow. And he said at the end of his sermon last week in Russia, quote, when my family came under attack from the Muslim separatists 20 years ago in Chechnya, we had nowhere to go. I didn't know where to flee. We were hungry and we were afraid. 
But a Baptist church outside of Moscow gave me shelter and food and introduced me to Jesus Christ. At the end of another sermon last week, one pastor said, in the face of the growing aggression of war, we remain ambassadors for Christ. Peace comes through reconciliation with God. That's good, bless you child, that's good stuff from Christian brothers and sisters all over the world, but I can't lie to you and say I've got it all figured out and I'm watching the news going, yeah, this makes a lot of sense because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Watching dads say goodbye to their kids. Watching what people in parliament, y'all watching this stuff? People in parliament pick up guns? I mean, that sounds like fun. Did y'all see the president? This is, okay, this is a little touchy, but it's okay. The president of Ukraine last week, what he said? And I love our country. I love it. When our country offered to get him out, did anybody hear that story, right? They said, we'll get you and your family out of here. What was his response? He said, I don't need a rod. I need ammunition. I'm like, that's what's up. I guess people in Georgia are like, let's go. But he's putting up selfie videos in the streets. Y'all, I want to be serious just for a little bit. What would it be like to be in the streets of Kiev right now? Hiding in a subway or in a church cathedral saying, where is anyone? Do we hear this? Is anyone coming? And the rest of the world is saying what? Now, am I get in trouble for this? We'll send some money. To me, it could be a hopeless situation. And he had to read stories about the Christians who were there, and they're saying the same thing. We put our faith in this truth. Just because it's always been this way doesn't mean it always will be this way. Praying for revival in Ukraine. Praying for revival in Russia. Praying for people to come to know Christ. And asking us to join them in prayer. Yes, fulfilling Micah 4.3. When the Lord says, he shall judge between many peoples, he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. I memorized that verse in second grade, and I got a piece of candy for it. But it makes sense to me until this week I had to teach my second grader what war is. That's hard. So there are times if we live on this third rock from the sun, we will look around and go, Lord, it's always been this way, but I want to give you a truth, a promise from the Lord. It always won't be this way. One day, Scripture says, the Lord will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more mourning. No more sunsets, just sunrises. A land where the Lord will minister to us by his own hand. I don't know if you're struggling with the things that are going on in Eastern Europe and Russia right now or you're struggling with a family situation where you're looking at a relationship, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a child, somebody that's struggling with addiction, a financial situation, a political mess, and you're saying, maybe in a prayer, Lord, it's always been this way. It's never going to change. I want you to know with all of my heart, I believe that it can change. I believe that God doesn't do things my way. He does them his way. It's often on his own timing, but he promises to meet us where we are. Are we willing to trust in him? When Rebecca heard the words from the Lord, she very easily could have said, Lord, I ain't ever seen a baby, an older one, serve the younger one. And what could the Lord have said in return? You ain't ever seen me do something like this before. There have been times where I have actually said to the Lord, Lord, I don't think this is possible. And I'm thankful that my God has more faith than me. When my God can remind me through the Holy Spirit and say things. This is harsh. Buckle up for a second. I don't really care what you think, Danny. Okay, I know we sing about how much God loves us and he does and he calls us to come unto him and he'll take us as we are. God nowhere in scripture asks anyone for their opinion. He'll listen and he'll love us like a loving parent 
But at the end of the day, he continues to remind us, just because it always had been this way, doesn't mean it always will be. The scripture goes on to say in verses 27 to 28, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All of his body was like a hairy cloak. I get it. Like a, he's a hairy guy. So they called his name Esau. All right? Afterward, his brother came out. Look at what his brother's doing. With his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. I told first service, I'm really thankful that in my worst moments of life, that's not when my parents were like, that's what we're going to call you. You know, like, your worst is make you ever. So he comes out holding Esau's heel, and they called him Jacob. A Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. The second thing I want us to get, again, these are very simple points today, is we've got to make sure we're grasping the right heel, okay? Not the right foot, like in the song. Who are you trying to be like in this world? Jacob and Esau grew up competing with each other, always going after each other's stuff, the birthright, mama loves me more, daddy loves me more, I'm a better hunter, I'm a better cook, all and on and on. All the while, I believe the Lord gave an opportunity to say, Lord, make us more like you. This is in Old Testament times. We don't have to wonder what Jesus is like. We know what he was like. If anyone in this world is currently tempting you to be more like them than you are to be like Jesus, you need to reevaluate that situation. The only person that we are to first compare ourselves to is Jesus himself. Jesus was perfect. You're not. we got to own that. He already owned it for us. If someone else is saying, well, you ain't like so-and-so, you can say biblically, no, but I'm loved by the Lord like Jesus saved me. Grasp the right heel. I wanted to say, don't hold heels, hold hands, but that sounded too, too kumbaya Don't compare yourself to anyone other than Jesus. Jacob's name means grasp the heel. That's what his name means. He's a striver. He's a deceiver. What was he striving to accomplish? And Jacob's the father of Israel, and throughout his life, he's trying to take stuff from other people. Are we striving to be like Jesus above everything else? We've got to ask ourselves that question. Are we striving to be like Jesus above everything else? It doesn't matter if you're in seventh grade, 12th grade, or you're 56 years old. Are you striving to be like the Lord? There's a story in the New Testament about a woman who had a bleeding problem. She couldn't make it stop. She was struggling, worn out, exhausted, spent all her money. Some of y'all have heard that story before. She's in a crowded room, crowded street. Jesus is walking down, doing his thing. And what does Jesus do? He turns around and says, what? He touched me. He's like, Somebody touched me. He's like, what? Who touched me? What did the disciples say? You're for real? There's a thousand people in this courtyard. What do you mean you t- somebody touched you? He said, I felt power go out from my body. And you got this woman who was so weak, she couldn't even get to where Jesus was, so she reached out to maybe grab his heel or his foot. All she could touch was the cloak of his garment, the hem of his garment. She was instantly healed. Why? She was reaching out for the right person. My struggle is that some folks right here in hashtag MoCo are reaching out for other people to give us worth and value and dignity and affirmation, when all the while the Lord is saying, come to me, I'll tell you who you are. You struggle with an addiction, bring it to the Lord. You struggle with a sin, bring it to the Lord. You struggle with a person, bring it to the Lord. Don't take it to social media first, take it to the Lord first. You want revival to break out in your household? Hear me. Stop hashtagging and start praying, you know what I mean? Can we hashtag our prayers? Sure, hashtag prayer. That's cool. I'm not down in it. But what I'm saying is before we do that, we're to go to the Lord. Some of us are trying so hard to be like someone else. We forget that Jesus calls us to be like him above all else. Verses 27 to 28 says this. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau. Isaac's the dad. Isaac loved Esau, 
because he ate of his game. Isaac had a good appetite. He like, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's a problem. There's a mom and a dad, and they each have their favorite kid. Let's be honest. Kids, plug your eyes for a second. Close your ears. You've got a favorite kid, Rachel. No, don't. We don't have any favorite. Got a favorite daughter because only got one. But knowing that we're not called, y'all, the, the third thing I want us to get, and again, this is very simple, favoritism never ends well. All right? Favoritism never ends well. Whether you're a parent, grandparent, politician, a student, or you're, you're hanging out in the community, like favoritism never ends well in any relationship kind of setup. You want to hurt somebody's feelings? Pick a favorite. You know what I mean? There are people in this room right now and hearing these words online who are still struggling as grown adults because mama had a favorite and daddy had a favorite and you weren't one of the favorites. People struggle with that for the rest of their lives. I'm not belittling it. We're addressing it. Jacob and Esau looked, talked, acted, and according to Scripture, smelled completely different from one another. True story. But they were raised in the same house with the same rules and the same values and the same dinner table. Anybody? I got three kids. They're all beautiful. They're all totally different. You have to remember, if you are a parent, that God wants to do the molding in our children's lives. We are called to do the preparing his way to mold them. Jake and Rebecca's favoritism affected their kids' relationships with one another and with their parents for the rest of their lives. I'm serious right now. If you're struggling because you're a ball player and your little boy doesn't like ball, he likes to do band or something else, music, dance, theater. I'm just being, I'm being I'll be straight honest with you for a second. That was me in high school. I was a band kid. I was a drama kid. I was a theater kid. My dad was a soccer player. We dribbled the ball and he's like, ah, get back to the drums. You know, he's like, this, you tried, son. You know, you tried. But I'm serious right now. Parents, if you're a parent, this is just for y'all. We've got to be careful not to let our own thinking to make our kids like us interfere with make us making a way for the Lord to make our kids like him first. We've got to meet them where they are, give them the values, give them the foundation, and then say, Lord, oh, this is hard. I'm going to trust you with the molding of these young people. If you currently have a favorite, I'm serious. I think you need to repent of that because it will affect your children's relationships with one another, and it will affect their relationship with you. Parents, we must never put our personal desires ahead of the will of God. In every other realm of favoritism, we have to be careful. Being a Christian is not easy. Becoming a Christian is. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Becoming like him, toughest thing I've ever done in my life. He's not like anybody else. So as Christians, we have to be careful in this world to not allow our opinions or our favoritism to interfere with our witness for Christ at any time. That's hard. The Lord says that we are called to not have favorites not just when it comes to our kids. <laughs> That's my favorite. But when also when it comes to other areas of life. Which sounds sweet up front. But I'm, I'm going to take a, let's just take a step. In every area, y'all. From kids to foreign affairs to electric car company plants in Rutledge. I know, easy, easy. Don't get me wrong. We all got opinions, Amen. But we're having to pray and say, Lord, allow me. Allow me to reflect Christ. Genesis 25, 29 to 30 says this. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, that's always a fun thing to cook, Esau came in from the field, and Esau was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. I don't know. Red stew. Red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob 
and Esau are doing their thing. I don't know if Jacob knew that Esau was about to come in from the field, and he was setting this thing up. Jacob's about to steal his brother's birthright. We're going to get to that next point. What's the birthright? He was going to inherit everything from his dad. Esau comes in from the field, says he's exhausted, and he says, let me eat some of that red stew. And then he starts eating the red stew. Before he does, Jacob says, I'll give you some red stew. Some of your birthright. And Esau says, okay, give me some stew. The next point I want us to get to, and we're going to hit these really quickly, is this. It's a very simple life lesson. Before making big decisions, sleep on it. All right? This is serious. Before making big decisions in life, sleep on it. Shanti and I, when we first got married, Shanti's my wife. When we first got married, we were at Stonecrest Mall. Love it. My church was four miles from there. We went to Stonecrest Mall to eat at the Olive Garden because it had unending breadsticks and, and salads. It was lovely. But after the Olive Garden at Stonecrest, we went to a blowout sale at a mattress furniture store that was 90% off everywhere. Had a guy outside with a sign and everything. We drove in. I was like, this is fantastic. We got $37 just to blow. Let's just go in here. So we walked in because at the time, as newlyweds, our mattress and box spring was on the floor. You know what I mean? Like We didn't have anything else, just on the floor. So we walked in, and this guy greeted me at the door, smooth salesman, and says, you need, a ba- you need to use some furniture. I was like, I do. How'd you know? 23 years old. Dumb as a skunk. I, this is pre-Dave Ma- Dave Matthews. That was it. This is pre-Dave Ramsey. Still Dave Matthews times. So I walked in, and this guy started doing this smooth thing. He said, man, I'll sell you this stuff. Quick. I was thinking, what's going on? Took my wife. I was like, let's go outside and think about this, because we need to decide, can we afford to spend some money right now? It was a few hundred dollars, but at the time, it was a big, big deal. At the time, being the lovely leader and spirit, I was like, oh, this sounds good. Let's go. So we went back in. The guy said, yeah, that's great. Come out back. Bring your truck around. You can all help you load everything up. His words, not mine. As he was saying that, I handed him my debit, not credit, my debit card, and he swiped it, and he put in a little pen, and a transaction was completed, and he handed it back to me, and he walked away. And I said, sir, once again, where do I need to pull my truck? He stopped, quote, said to me, oh, your furniture ain't here. I was like, where's my furniture? This is a true story. He said, I'll price on some barge in the middle of the Indian Ocean right now. I don't know. I hit him three times. I didn't hit him at all. I was like, <laughs> I was like where's my stuff? He says, it's not here. So we had to call the Better Business Bureau, had to call our bank, learned a lot of life lessons. Why? We made a big decision without sleeping on it and having a good conversation about it. I promise you this. If the Lord's laying something on your heart that is of the Lord, he's going to affirm it in his word and went through some wise counsel of a few other folks. Don't care if you're a teenager or 50 years old. Ask the Lord. Lord, is this of you? Sleep on the big decisions. You know one of the worst times you can have a conversation with a spouse or close loved one about something you disagree on? 11 p.m. You know what I mean? Why? It's going to go to 2 a.m. It's not going to be fun. It'd be better to say, can we please talk about this? And we need to talk about it, but maybe not right now while we're so exhausted. That's what Esau's doing. He's exhausted. He walks in. He's like, give me the stew. Jay, I don't care. Because he's not thinking clearly. He's thinking short-sighted. To me, this is just Danny for a second, one of the greatest potential things that leads us to sin in our American culture is short-sightedness. We want everything now. How's this going to make me feel now? How's this going to better me now? How's this going to affect me? When all the while something would happen if we would take a step back and say, Lord, let me sleep on this for a second. Let me think through this before making a big decision. Do not allow temporary problems to be fixed by permanent solutions. Never let physical satisfaction take precedence over our spiritual priorities. Our culture really needs to hear this today. It's all a facade. Please, don't be impulsive fools throwing away God's promises for temporary pleasures. We live in a world that says, if it makes you feel good, do it. Well, God, I'm, I'm married. What will she think? You want to hear the lies from the devil? She won't. It'll be all right. It's about you. She's not meeting you right now. Why don't you date with her? 
Lord, why are my kids like other people's kids? Their kids are better. You let your kids go off with friends they don't even know about. It'd be better for you just to don't stop asking the questions. Just let them go. It's just going to lead to a fight anyway. Before you make big decisions, sleep on it. The culture of instant gratification is leading a lot of people away from the throne of grace. We have to be careful and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to take a little bit of time to evaluate before making more decisions on it? Scripture closes out with this in verses 31 to 34. Esau says, I just want some stew. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now, which seems pretty extreme. Like he, doesn't, he just goes all in. Esau said, I'm about to die, which I don't think he really was. I think he was being dramatic. That's just me. Of what use is a birthright to me? Sidebar, his parents weren't poor, y'all. Okay? Like some folks are like, I ain't got anything to inherit anyway, so much of debt. He couldn't have said that. Like his parents had some stuff in money and land and animal. Like he was inheriting a lot. And in this moment, because he was hungry in that hour, he said, I'll sell it to you. So Jacob says, swear it to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The last point, it's another simple one. Don't sell out for a bowl of stew, y'all. Don't sell out for a bowl of stew. Jacob would go on to not only steal his brother's birthright, that means his inheritance financially, later, and y'all, it's heartbreaking. If you read the rest of the story, they get a little bit older. Jacob and his mom play a trick on his dad to steal his blessing. Now, we hear that. We're like, that's a sweet song. No, in this day, it was huge. The blessing was huge. It was when a father would lay his hands on his children and pour out a spiritual blessing over them, acknowledging what God was going to do in their lives. So Jacob steals it from Esau at the end of that story. Esau walks in the room. It's this whole thing. He's like, you even stole this? You've stolen everything from me. Don't sell out for a bowl of stew. Next week, we're starting a new series called Misconnections. We're going to be looking at people leading up to the cross who came so close to being followers of Christ. Their names are mentioned in the Bible, but it's just a dishonorable mention because they chose not to follow. Instead, they chose to go a different direction. Missed opportunities, missed connections. I don't want any of us to struggle with that. The Lord often promises delayed gratification. What does that mean? means that some of us need to keep resisting the stew. <laughs> it's not worth it. We've got kid. Um, we've had conversations with people who are struggling with the decision. And I've heard the answers. Britt's been in church a long time. All staff here, y'all, we've heard. That's a different sermon. The stew's not worth it. Does that make sense? Can we just stop there? Let's just close out. I'm getting lost in my thoughts. For the non-believer, so what is a non-believer? A non-believer is someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus really did come and live on this earth. That he really did live a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He loved unconditionally. For the non-believer, they don't believe. If you're a non-believer, you don't believe this that Jesus, at the end of his perfect life, was tried as a criminal and beaten and nailed to a cross. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they made fun of him. 
And apparently, according to Scripture, he took the sins of the whole world. What's a sin? A sin is something you've done wrong and you know it's wrong. Like, you know it. It's actually a lot of other things, but let's just address the ones that we know. A non-believer would say, I don't believe that Jesus really died on the cross for me. A non-believer would also say, I don't believe that Jesus really was put into a grave and came back to life three days later. If you're in that camp, I want you to know that, one, I believe in a God that loves you unconditionally and will meet you right where you are. But two, and I want you to please hear this. I am very, very serious. The world, as it is right now, is the best it will ever be for all of eternity. This is the best it's going to get. And I'm at a place in life now where I feel like I just, like, let's just go. So if you're a non-believer, go out and live it up. If I'm serious. Live it up as good as you can, as fast as you can, because it's all we're going to get. But I want you to know that in times of my life where I've struggled with believing, all the while, the song that we just sang a minute ago about Jesus fighting for us means that the God we serve never stops searching for those people. He never gives up on them. Even when I'm not reaching out for the heels of Jesus, I believe that he's reaching out for mine. So if you're in that camp, I want you to know that in this church, we will love you and God will love you. But if you are a believer, if you do believe the story of Jesus Christ, I want you to know this is as bad as it ever gets. The world that we have right now will only last for a little while, but one day we will be with him forever in heaven. As I was praying in this service here, getting ready for the, this sermon, I continued to think about birthrights and what that would have been like because it's just crazy. And I kept coming back to this thought. Didn't Jesus give his birthright up for us? You know, didn't he choose to say, you know what? I'm going to go after the Jacobs and the Esau's. I'm going to go after the Dannys. There are plenty of people in this world that could say, do you know Danny? <laughs> some people say, yeah, that short guy, wears a vest all the time. But some people who know, like, so maybe also in this camp, I've done some dumb things. But I want you to hear this, and I believe it with all of my heart. I do not believe Jesus has ever heard, this is just me, has ever heard my name and not smiled and said, that's one of mine. He wants to do the same for you. Don't sell out for a bowl of stew. The Lord has promised to meet you right where you are, and he's done everything in his power to gain access to you. Won't you trust him today? Let's pray. Lord God, today we thank you for not only promising to meet with us here, Lord, but for being here with us in this place. I thank you for your love and for your grace. Lord, you know the world around us, not just the rain on the roof here, but all the way to Ukraine and to Russia, Lord. There's so much hurt, so much pain. Lord, you know that some folks in this own congregation, hearing these words right now, maybe struggle with some of the things that Jacob and Esau did. Favoritism in the family or mess, messy relationships or broken promises. Lord, there are folks that have been done wrong. Help us, Lord, to trust you with everything. Not just the good things that we're thankful for, but the hard things that have hurt us. Lord, I thank you that you chose to allow Jesus to give up everything that he had so that I could have a conversation with him in a prayer. So that you would prepare a seat for me at your dinner table, Lord. I don't deserve any of that, but you chose to give it. God, I pray right now for anybody here that doesn't believe or struggling with belief. Lord, help us as a church, as a people, love well, unconditionally. 
But Lord, I also pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a way that we can't. Remind us of who we are in you, Lord. Remind us that in this world there are going to be times where we're going to just put our hands down and go, I don't know what to do anymore. Like we're about to sing, Lord, sometimes we just need to raise our hands and dwell on heaven and all that's promised. If there's anybody here that needs somebody to pray for them, I'll be up front. My wife will be up front. We'd love to pray with anybody today, Lord. Anybody here that wants to know more about believing in God or becoming a Christian, they got real questions. We're the type of church that wants the real questions, that wants to have good conversations with anyone about anything. Help us, Lord, to be a people that love well like Jesus. We thank you for meeting us right where we are. We pray these things.